Theatre Podcast, episode number four. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Beginner's Call Theatre Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this bumper Edinburgh Fringe special episode. Woo-hoo. So, welcome to the podcast. This week, I'm joined by Leonora Nicholson and Alessandra Savagna, who will be discussing everything to do with the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, whether that be the established fringe or also the free fringe. We will discuss that during this podcast as well. It's a really great episode. We look at all the pros, the cons of the Edinburgh Fringe and where what it needs to do in the future to improve, in our opinion. Once again, please do follow us all on our social media, Beginners Call Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Beginner Call, and we are now on Facebook, the Beginners Call Theatre Podcast. Just search for it on your Facebook and you'll find us. All three will have all the latest updates on all of our information concerning the podcast. So, without further ado, here is episode four of the Beginners Call Theatre Podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast, guys. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you. Good, thank you. Good. Yeah, thanks for having us. No worries. Thank you for coming on uh, to this what is Edinburgh Fringe special. Uh, because right now, as pretty much everyone knows, Edinburgh Fringe would have been happening, but it's not. So I decided that this week we'd do an Edinburgh Fringe podcast chatting about the benefits of it, what and why it happens, if it's good, how it can be made better, and how it's going to look in the future. But first, each week we get to know who is on the podcast. So I will give each guest, Ali and Leo, the chance to chat about themselves for 30 seconds, about their theatre background, uh, just so you guys get to know them and all about who they are. So I'll start with Ali first. Give me 30 seconds about you and your theatre background. Hello. So uh, my name is Alessandra Zavagna. I am a poet, I'm a writer, but um foremost. I am a theatre practitioner. I specialise in applied theatre. So I work for an NPO and I divide autobiographical theatre with vulnerable adults and teenagers. Fringe specific, last year I took a all-female devised comedy to the Free Fringe. We did the um, full month run there. Leo, a bit about yourself. Hello, um, my name is Leonora Nicholson. Um, I um, work in theatre but I also work in poetry which is interesting because I didn't know that um, which is super cool and um, I have been working um, recently in the West End but obviously that's closed now but before that um, I've worked at the Fringe as a venue technician for two years um, in very different kind of very different venues which has been interesting. Yeah nice uh, cool We'll move straight into the sort of first, again, these are very big questions this week, so feel free to like expand on them, make them as long-winded, or uh, there's so many different tangents in which these questions can go, which is why it's so interesting as a topic, really. Leo, first, what do you think are the main benefits of Edinburgh Fringe to a person Mm. individually and theatre as a whole? I mean, I would say as a person individually, like it's an amazing place to be. Um, like Ali and I said earlier that um, we think we've met each other already so it's like a big boiling pot of um, of people and you get 
to meet loads of people and there's loads of theatre everywhere and it's just like a very unique environment because it's a festival but it's also a month long um and so I think that that like that is really exciting and so as an individual it's very enriching and I think the theatre is um it's kind of like where a lot of stuff starts out which um which goes on to bigger things from from what I've seen um but I think and at, at times the Edinburgh Fringe is like I know helped a lot with experimental theatre and like political theatre and activist theatre and and things like that so that would be my answer but yeah yeah no great and uh, yeah, Ali for you what would you say are the benefits for Edinburgh Fringe for both an individual coming up and then theatre as a whole in UK and the world really yeah so I completely agree with Leo it kind of sometimes feels like a fever dream and we've, we've all been it feels like this lawless place where there are no rules and everyone's there and everyone's kind of the same and we're all quite stressed about mm. the same things and anything goes and um so i agree that it can be a really incredible place to be workshopping some really kind of forward-thinking ideas and practices because of the nature of the cultural event it kind of feels easy to be able to, to be able to do whatever you want however you want and that can be a really incredible feeling i think the biggest benefit for me personally was not what i expected them to be so i think there's a misconception that you go to the fringe for like the exposure and you like put on your show and then one day a producer will come along and spot you in the crowd and then you have a meeting the next day and your career takes off there is a misconception that that is kind of what the fringe is about that you go and then suddenly your career is fine and mm. endless and great um i think the greatest personal benefit for me was the investment in my work ethic and my attitude mm. um, the fringe is an incredibly amazing time but it is also very difficult in a lot of ways mentally financially emotionally physically you get everyone burns out at the fringe no matter how incredible of an artist you yeah. are because also being there for the full month it really feels 24 7 so the investment that i made in myself the fact that i did that and i can say that i did that and i can do mm. that is a really incredible feeling and it um kind of feels a little bit like a stepping stone like every, i think the people think the fringe is like a rite of passage almost as a young artist you need to go and experience the full month and do it um so that's i think that's what i would say was the greatest personal benefit that sounds good yeah me and they obviously last year worked as venue techs so for anyone that works as for event as a venue tech or part of the venue your fringe begins sort of a week before fringe even starts and ends yeah. after everyone has gone um so yeah it is incredibly intense i don't think there's a company that doesn't make you work at least six days a week yeah and it's and it's interesting because i think the thing about intensity is um like so true and the fever dream is so accurate that's such a good point because you look back at it and i constantly do this with all kinds of work especially in theater you look back at it and you're like how did i do that like i didn't think i had more than four hours of sleep like ever <laughs> in one night and it's and it's amazing and it's amazing that you can do that but also like it's kind of a little bit damaging sometimes because it kind of gives you this work ethic that um that can be quite become quite unhealthy if you don't realize that you should work more sustainably for the rest yeah. of the year 
yeah, I don't think there's anywhere that you could work. You couldn't work like people work at Fringe for your entire life. Oh, yeah. Because oh my god, the, you die! <laughs> I think I slept for like three days after I came back from Edinburgh last time. I was so god. ill. I got this like this was before COVID. I got this awful chest cough, like one of those like really painful ones. That happened to me. I think I couldn't really do anything for a good month. I just had to kind of lay low and not really use my brain at all. Mm, yeah, you definitely have to do that. We'll move on to the next question. What so in the this year, as we all know, as we all said, the fringe isn't happening. Uh the hopefully the world will be in a place next year when we can put on Edinburgh and Edinburgh can happen. But I have a pretty confident opinion that it's not going to look or be as it was before. Uh, I think it will have to have some changes. Maybe, though, that could be for the better. We'll have to sit, wait and see. Uh, Ali, what do you think the Fringe will look like next year? Do you think it will happen is the main question. And then if so, I, I personally don't think it will be as big or as expansive as it has been in the past. But what would you say? I think it would be silly to assume that nothing would happen. I mean, you see like the other episode you did about virtual fringe, the nature of our industry is such that we're all kind of trained to be like young, scrappy and hungry. And we're all like really adaptable and we'll do anything for anything. And we'll work on four hours. And, you know, even if they announce that a full fringe is happening in July, you know that there'll be thousands of shows within the week people have like um, written and invented and devised. So the nature of our industry is such that there will always be something. Like if the fringe does goes on, then there will be some level of a thriving, you know, um, cultural event still going on. However, I do think that that's quite, I think the real question that that question is asking, if that makes sense, is, what is the landscape of the theater industry going to be in 12 months? And I think because the um, fringe can be such a microcosm for the industry as a whole, and it is such a large, important cultural event, probably one of the biggest um, cultural events in art in the UK in the year anyways, the real question is what is theater going to be like in 12 mm. months? And that will very directly answer what the fringe is going to be like, I think. Um, we're all quite desperate to go back guns blazing because we're all quite desperate for theater, I feel, in lockdown especially. Like we've all, especially watching other industries be able to open before us. Um, and some, mm -hmm. a lot of us thinking that maybe some of the reopenings have been a bit like hypocritical in way of the rules and how we're not allowed to perform, but cinemas, are, you know, there's been that kind of discussion going on lately we're all kind of really on the edge of our seats ready to go off on a race to get to back to making theater there will be some form of it but i really doubt i agree with you toby i really doubt that it's going to be anything like fringe was before and maybe maybe that's a good thing i i, I don't know i think the fringe is never really going to be the same that's not necessarily a bad thing maybe it's going to change for the better maybe it'll be yeah more peaceful and maybe it'll be more organized and maybe it'll be more cautious of the way it treats people especially if we're talking about like health in these recent years maybe that's kind of a good step toward a more sustainable fringe on a personal level but yes I do think some type of fringe will take place but not anywhere near what it was essentially yeah I certainly think the idea of it being an international fringe is we're going to struggle when we don't really know about international travel and when there are still local lockdowns happening I think one of the really positive things, so um, um, I run a, 
um, poetry organization called po Unheard Poetry. And one of the things I did at the Fringe was like, I went around and interviewed people about the Fringe and then edited them into like poems about the Fringe. Um, it was a bit like abstract, but it meant that I talked to loads of people about the Fringe, which is really interesting. And I think that potentially one of the things that could happen with the Fringe next year is because it will have to be more local is that maybe there would be more um, more investment in local Scottish artists because that's a theme like and this is one of my big I mean accessibility at the fringe is like ter like really a minefield and I think that that is one of the big things um, with a lot of Scottish artists which is the fringe comes to Edinburgh it's incredible it's incredibly expensive it drains the city it gives the city things back and then it goes again and the art scene goes with it and the support and nourishment of Scottish artists and Scottish storytelling doesn't doesn't stay after the fringe and like very understandably there's quite a lot of anger about that um so I think potentially what could happen is big venues like Pleasance and Assembly will have to invest in local artists because it's much a much safer way in terms of um the virus to to kind of have a fringe which could be really positive I think because um like that's one of my big issues with the with the fringe in all its wonder it has many faults as well <laughs> yeah i think we can all agree that maybe i don't necessarily think that scaling back edinburgh is actually that much of a bad idea i think it has mm. i think what the, the you... argument you hear every year is that it's all consuming it has everything how are you supposed to see a thousand shows every day yeah but do you remember toby so when i was working at, at a venue the water stopped working because there were too many people walking on the pavement and the pipe underneath the pavement had been damaged. So like the physical structure, the infrastructure of the city, and we also had a power cut set for similar reasons. The physical infrastructure of the city can't really contain that many people. And so scaling it back, I think could be positive. Yeah, I think people forget that a lot of the fringe takes place in the old town, mm. which has stood for like a thousand years for, and large parts of it are not now capable of look like containing as you said that many people in that mm. shorter burst i think I, I imagine obviously i don't know but i imagine that the uh water gas electric people have a fun month in august running around mm. constantly maintaining the system yeah i've never i think the the biggest thing for me when i went up edinburgh last year the first time i really noticed it going up was the first saturday of fringe felt like the entire city was out partying it was like I remember if you go out for drinks or something on a Friday or Saturday, it's like it's it's packed. Like you can't get cell phone reception because there are so many people. Like yeah. all of the mobile data has been used up. It's like being I grew up near Glastonbury Festival, so I went quite a lot. It's like being Glastonbury Festival, which is like a three day very intense event, except it's for a month. It's crazy. It's like the and the infrastructures in the city aren't really made for it. No, I agree. I mean, in our venue, there were multiple occasions where there had to be kind of building works done while there were shows going on, and you know, kind of overnight, uh, really in a quite packed schedule in an attempt to kind of let the shows carry on and go on. And as much as obviously as artists, we really appreciated it because it was all in an effort to make sure we could perform. Sometimes, obviously, bless them, we felt a little bit like you're clearly trying to make something work. 
out of something that's maybe not meant to, you're not maybe meant to have 50 shows going on in this one venue at the same time. If the pipes in the bathrooms are constantly bur- like bursting. Yeah. Um, so maybe in a way, sometimes Edinburgh feels a little oversaturated with the amount mm. of shows and the amount of people that are there. And it can feel a little bit like all consuming. Yeah. I don't know if you agree, but there was a point where there were so many shows I wanted to see, so many flyers, so many different tickets that I felt like nothing really meant anything because there was just so much going on that nothing really had any value mm. anymore. And I couldn't yeah. differentiate between the days because I was running around doing the same thing mm. each day. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, yeah. saturated was a word I ended up using. I remember at the end talking to Toby and being like, I'm saturated. I'm like up to my eyeballs in theater. I've had a great time and I need to go to be able to actually see any of it because I can't see any of it because it's here. Like you're full, like you've had this huge banquet and you just can't, you can't do it anymore. (laughs) I certainly, I think at peak during Fringe, I think I saw maybe eight shows in one day and it's just people come for like three days, see eight shows a day. And I, didn't I did it once and I wouldn't do it again because you just physically I couldn't remember show three and four after seeing show six and seven because you your brain can't take on that much theatre or that much of anything at once and the fact that there's so many reviewers now at Fringe that there's so many good shows to see like there are hundreds and hundreds of shows getting five-star reviews so it's trying to work out what to see. That is one of the good things about going for the whole time I feel like you um you get a feeling what other shows that you really have to see before they sell out for the rest of the run. I don't know if you two felt this because you were working and I was um, kind of just with a show, but if I decided to take a day off or I decided to take a morning off or have a lion, maybe not see a show, a day, or God forbid, a few days, the amount of like guilt that mm. I felt was not justified or fair because I think it's perfectly reasonable during the fringe to be like I'm oversaturated for the next two days I'm not going to go see any shows or go to any pubs I think everyone around you turns to you and you're like and they're like but it's the fringe it's one time in a year you're going to waste the day if you don't do anything but Mm. I think being burnt out is quite a legitimate, it's quite a legitimate thing to happen to your health and your mental health. And especially if you're there working, you need to be able to be in, in shape in that manner. I completely agree. I mean, I mean, I didn't think I necessarily had it from other people, but I think I put an, like, I mean, I do this most of my, most of the time. I felt put so much pressure on myself to do things every day. And if I slept in till 11, I was like freaking out because I was like, you've got to go do things. You're at the fringe. Um, and, I, and I completely agree. Like I think burnout should be taken much more seriously. And it's interesting seeing people who have worked at the fringe like multiple years, they do take it a lot more easy. And, and there is the feeling like they will come back and all of these things. I think the interesting thing about the pandemic and it not happening this year is now I'm like, thank God. Thank God I didn't sleep. Thank God I saw a hundred shows a day. Thank God I met thousands of people. Thank God I didn't give myself a break because now it is actually not happening and I don't have the opportunity. And I wonder if that's like for our generation going to impact our psyche, which is we're always like everything could just shut down like next year. So like we might as well just like go hard because it might not happen again, which would be detrimental to everyone's mental health. (laughs) Yeah. I think from what I've been up there 
working for a venue and also been up taking a show up there and i think you can almost end up when you take a show up you can fill your days by seeing shows that you meet while flying and go well if i see my sh your show you, you come and see my show so if you could fill your time just with those people that you chat to let alone anything else that you actually want to go and see i mean that depends how nice a person you are and how much you actually stick to the i'll go see your show if you go see my show rule I'm sure, I'm sure a lot it, of people don't. Yeah, I'm sure as it, the fringe carries on, people become more cynical. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely something maybe that differs from our age group to maybe people that have done fringe for a lot of years. From mm -hmm. speaking to people that have done it multiple, multiple years, I think you maybe do get to the stage where you're like, this has been here before. We'll have mm -hmm. a show like this again. I've seen something similar maybe they have a better view of taking some time off and going you know what it is once in a year but also it's once in a year apart from this year pretty much every year and it will be so i think maybe because we are younger and new in our career we're probably like let's make as many contacts let's see as many things let's have as much exposure to theater and maybe as we move through that desire may drop off a little bit but also, i don't know for I me like, it might but also i feel like there's just so much pressure you're like um like ali said like that feels like if you talk to the right person you know like your whole life will change and obviously that's not what happens but to a small degree it does because like i wouldn't be on this podcast if i hadn't made like if me and toby hadn't like chatted at the pub once you know and um and like look i mean hopefully we would be friends but you know you never know um but like with lots of other things like lots of things you do get lots of contacts and it is very helpful but i think it just it doesn't happen how you expect and like lots of different little things happen which are also helpful and you just you don't know where any of this useful thing or, or like any of this you don't know where any of the nourishment and goodness is going to come from so you kind of have to go everywhere all the time and I think that that's how I felt. And I had just graduated from university doing a degree in stage management and technical theater. This was like my first job after I'd left uni. So I was like, this is like make or break. Like if you don't work really hard, then like your whole career could be over. Obviously that's not what happened. Um, but it does feel like that. And it is such a pressure cooker that it's hard to escape that feeling. But I do think as you get older, people probably get over that a bit more. I mean, I completely agree. Me and Toby went to university together. So we both graduated with our BAs in theater at the same year. Um, and then both immediately went straight to the fringe. And I felt quite a large amount of pressure because I all of my cast and crew were also new graduates. So we all felt this kind of like incessant need to prove ourselves among this community of because the community in the fringe is so incredible that you feel supported yet pushed at the same time because you're watching all this incredible work and you're like i want to do this i want to be able to do that and and sing like she does and write like he does but we all felt constantly that we needed to work our hardest and they wanted to act their best and i wanted to be punctual with the cues um because we were new graduates and i think that pressure is so kind of universal among emerging artists anyway you, you think that anything yeah. could be your big break or anything mm. could break you um mm. anything could mm. change your life completely um so there's a need for us to constantly be on our a game and constantly be at our best that's a beautiful turn of phrase 
anything could be your break or anything could break you. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. I, that will be a caption on our social media, definitely. It is, but it's gorgeous and it's so true because it's like walking this knife edge. Like, you're like, well, I have to go out and socialise to four o'clock in the morning um, and then I have to get up. Like, I remember there was this guy that I interviewed for the poetry thing who wasn't a poet and he was doing like a spoken word show and I was like, that sounds really cool. But it was at 10 o'clock in the morning, which in Fringe World, it's just... Terrible timing. Um, but I promised I'd gone see his show and I honestly tried to do it like six times before I was able to get myself conscious before and in enough time that I was able to go see his show. And it was wonderful, but it's this thing of like everything could build you up and everything could tear you down and you don't know you don't know what is gonna be what. Yeah, and it's such a range, like you t- touched on it there, like there are shows running from ten AM. I think in the ten. Mo- and most of them are kids' shows, yeah. so Unless you have kids, you don't go. Yeah, 10 a.m. until 5 a.m. There's five hours during Edinburgh where there's no shows, which is you should, for a month. Yeah, un- unreal. For a month. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty I've much 24-hour theatre. Yeah, no, I've talked to people who don't work in theatre and about Fringe, and you talk about it. And then at the end of describing what it's like, you're like, oh, and it's for a month. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> That's crazy. I think working as well, like we you see a completely different audience because it is like the during the day is like families and then it like just switches and then all the families just like disappear and suddenly all the kids have gone and then this like crazy world i did for when i worked at the venue last year we had like a panto in the morning for kids and a panto in the morning for adults that like bookended a couple of the weeks and it was just like lovely families in the morning and then they've all gone and then you've been working all day and you've gone from like families in the morning and then you're working in the evening and suddenly all these drunk people come in and you're like, what has happened in the world? Like there would be days where I'd work and I'd be like, I have no idea anything could have happened in the world outside of this mm. venue. Such like I, when I left work, I would like check the news just to be like, I could have missed something major because and your then... life is so engrossed in that show's in, right, that show's coming out, let's move this, get this show in, and then get this show out. It's like, nothing else matters except for making sure all these shows go up and don't Mm -hmm. run five minutes late, otherwise you could be half an hour behind by the end of the day. Do you know what's actually really funny? It's interesting that you brought up how um, kind of close-knit all the times are. So with our venue, it was kind of like a set uh, set number of rooms, and every hour, basically... um, um what's the uh english word that's like um one after the other consecutive a cube consecutive words basically um there were always shows happening on different time slots and how it worked for our venue was that um our get in was 15 minutes and that 15 minutes was also the get out for the show that just finished before our get in began. So they were getting out and we were like bringing out all of our set and our tables and chairs and stuff. And then we, we had a 40 minute time slot, bearing in mind our time slot was like around 7 p.m. So quite a good time slot for the fringe, um, especially to be like in the center of it. And then our show would finish at like half eight or whatever. And then the next show would walk in as the audience was walking out to do their get in. And we, so then we immediately had to like take and um, our show not to like, spoil anything but our show got quite like messy at the end it kind of ends with a, a visual like um assault of the of, of the eyes i suppose is the word. 
And so they would walk in and always like look down and just see this mess of like food and drink and everything and be like, well, we need to do our get it. And I'm like, yes, I'm so sorry. And I'm there like mopping everything up every day. And that was yeah. um, easily the most stressful thing of like trying to get all the actors in play, trying to get everything. And we um, had the sound system uh, kind of placed differently. So every day I was like unplugging everything and then like mm -hmm. moving it and replugging it. Mm -hmm. And what um, became really funny and ironic is that my sleep schedule because of the stress of that and then also obviously you go out because if your show finishes at half eight you're not going home for dinner you were staying out to watch shows and drinking until whatever time I ended up having the same like sleeping schedule as my parents who lived like on the other side of the world and they'd wake up obviously my time like three four a.m and I'd be like, oh, hello, like, <laughs> I'm talking to them. And then I'd go to sleep when they go to sleep. It's just, it's it, it, yeah, fever dream, I guess you are right, is, is the appropriate word for it. It's yeah. crazy, like, I was thinking, we talk about, we've talked about quite a lot, the, oh, this is the moment where someone will walk up to you and be like, I want you to be this, and your career's going to take off. And the actual image is someone being like, are you okay as you scramble around pulling cables and mopping and you're like on the floor cleaning and the, the, this moment someone's supposed to walk up to you and be like I really love the show I love your job. work I love your work and you're like yes it's fine now let me just get this jelly off this carpet <laughs> yeah that is the it's actual that's the reality of fringe mm. the expectation in one of those like meme things where it's like expectation versus reality yeah the expectation what? is you're standing there waiting to be complimented and the reality is someone says that was a good show as you were desperately trying to like pull cables out get the other show going um, yeah it's oh, also I interesting because we were managing the venue so there were all of these very like understandably stressed performers and you kind of have to stay calm and then something um, our end would go wrong and it would be mighty troublesome. It would be, yeah. Um, cool, that was good. That all stemmed from one, one question quite a while ago. That's cool. Uh, I'm going to take off slightly on a tangent quickly, just from something you've both mentioned, um, because as you both mentioned, you both do poetry um, and you've both gone into that. Uh, so a question that I asked uh, to other writers that we've had on during the, uh, during the podcast is, uh, how have you found writing in lockdown? I'll go to like Leo first. Has it inspired you? Has it taken it away? Um, so um, I run this thing called Unheard Poetry. Everybody listening to this should go check it out. <laughs> Little plug. Um, but it's, it's basically kind of like trying to make poetry more accessible and um, producing other people's poetry um, through multimedia. But I found it's just gone through waves. I've gone through phases where I've written about things a lot and I've gone through phases where I haven't really written very much at all. But I think the main feeling I've felt that I've had is that I feel the need that I should write, that I should document this, that I should have something important or interesting to say about this whole situation. And I'm not sure that I do. And every now and then I kind of sit down and try to write something that feels meaningful, especially with all of like the, the Black Lives Matter stuff and like I'm half American and all of that shit going on over there. Um, and it is interesting comparing it to the fringe because it does feel different, but also the same kind of saturated feeling of kind of not necessarily being able to output as much as you like. So you feel like you're just really 
I feel personally, it's, it takes a lot of energy to be treading water and like keeping your head above water all the time with everything going on. How have you found it? I know you're trying to work on potentially a show or something, uh, some form of show. Have you found that lockdown has helped with that? Has it given you the time to write or not? I think Leo has said it perfectly i it it is slightly different because so the show that you mentioned i'm currently writing a commissioned autobiographical show it's called cashew nut um and obviously obviously at the start of lockdown you think oh perfect i have all this time i'm at home it's about me i write it i'm in it what could go like what excuse do i have to not write what could be hard about that (laughs) yeah right like oh i could just sit it's all (laughs) in my brain so i can just sit down and do it um the the biggest thing i'm quite i'm quite a big advocate for being incredibly proud of ourselves for even emotionally and and physically surviving what has happened um and i think where none of us are being kind enough to ourselves in acknowledging that we've kind of made it past this time period and for a lot of us financially we've made it past this time period so um there was a period in lockdown where I was really trying to write and sit down and be like well you have no excuse now because there's no work you're furloughed you just need to get on with it but I hit a wall very immediately and I think you can understand me when I say like how do you write about yourself and like your issues when that's all you've got going on Exactly. And, and, mm. and people are dying and losing their families and losing their homes and losing their jobs. How do you sit down and you're like, oh, well, this is about my identity and my issues with race and my issues with the gender and sex. And like, how do you do that when there's a pandemic going on? Um, and for a very long time, I think um, I was very tough on myself for not being able to write well mm. in a pandemic. And then I kind of looked back halfway and was like, why? there was no one policing my writing. There was no one policing how well or how much I write in a pandemic when everyone was focused on keeping their family safe. Um, So I completely agree with Leo. Like there were some days where I would write all the time and, you know, not sleep and you would feel really kind of invigorated by and inspired by everything going on. And then there are days and weeks where Mm. you can't bring yourself to write because it feels kind of wrong. Um, and I really rely on other people to give myself a sense of context and a sense of who I am is to like it's to the people around me and those people aren't there and it's quite hard to write about how you're feeling or what's going on in your life and especially something autobiographical when like the way in which you see yourself and the kind of the anchors that you put down around you in the in the way of friends and family and housing and job and all of this identity that you've created kind of evaporates because you're inside you're in one house all the time and it's like how do you how, how are you meant to write about that when it doesn't feel like there's an ending to it i'm sure we can all write about this when it's over but at the time kind of writing about it feels really sad i think that's interesting when it links back to fringe and sort of fringe for next year is that a large chunk of fringe plays, shows, comedy, whatever, is new writing and brand new pieces of theatre that have been written literally six months before Fringe has happened. People write for Fringe. And I think that would be an interesting thing of, are the writers going to want to or have anything to write ready for a Fringe next year? 
I think there would be so much, so much, th- so many things that happen. I agree. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we've all seen those jokes on social media about um, all the new plays about COVID that are going to come out and like, it's, just picture it. It's like black box. There's one per- there's a couple and they're locked in a room together and their marriage disintegrates and it's called something like unprecedented or something like that, you know, and it's all in blacks and it's all really intense and emotional. Um, but I actually think the opposite. I don't think there are going to, I don't think the demand for COVID related theater is going to like match the supply that there will be. Um, I think no one, I mean, maybe I just speak for myself, but I don't want, to go up to the fringe and go to the theater to experience this pandemic all over again. Like I think theater as a form of escapism is going to be stronger than ever because I think people are just desperate to feel that like warm hug that is live theater but not have to like think about everything that has gone on. Um, So I think you are completely right. But personally, I don't see people really wanting to see COVID-19 related content. No, but I think all of all of the other things that happened um, like all of the kind of like discussions about race relations and colonialism in the UK and things, I think that all of that stuff like everyone is like desperately trying to find a way to express themselves in a pandemic and I think the minute the theatre is around I hope that there will still be the, um, the kind of like um engine behind that so that those ideas and discussions are happening in theatre as well as everywhere else yeah I think the thing with theatre for me is that you go to see that sort of theatre to learn about an experience that you haven't had or someone's life experience that you haven't had the chance to experience and gain knowledge from that that's how I see Mm -hmm. that sort of theatre and with covid we've all experienced it obviously in different ways and each person has experienced it in in a unique way but yeah if you go and see COVID theatre, it will be like, I've experienced this. I know exactly everyone in the world, especially everyone in the UK has had a similar experience mm. of how COVID has affected them. So I feel like, yeah, as Ali said, that's sort of, I don't think there will be a desire to see COVID based plays. And that's just that's like, COVID maybe in like, the, yeah, maybe in like five years or 10 years, I think. Cause mm. like, you know how everyone thinks about the second world war all the time. Mm. Like, maybe because there are still shows at the fringe that are about the second one for like yeah. maybe there will be in the future everyone will think it's interesting again but there'll be like a covid19 musical parody boris there will there'll definitely be like thing. a musical parody but that's because it'll be funny and entertaining yeah um and everyone will be able to relate to it because everyone's gone through the same thing of creating um cool i'm gonna move it back towards fringe and as we discussed earlier ali has done a show for the free fringe mm. which uh i know i went up about five years ago to edinburgh and free fringe was a thing but it was a lot smaller than last year i noticed that free fringe has shot up in terms of number of shows number of venues as you said like 50 perform- some spaces are holding like 50 performances um, so I'll go to Ali first because you've got the most experience of it. Um, do you think Free Fringe and how does Free Fringe help Edinburgh as a whole in terms of Edinburgh Fringe? The biggest thing talked about it is cost and expense of just being there and taking a show. But also in so many other ways, how do you think Free Fringe helps Edinburgh? I think the biggest way is in the name of it being a Free Fringe. Um, I don't think it's a secret that the Edinburgh Fringe as a business model is not the most financially accessible. 
um, and not the most responsible and sustainable business model um, there is, I think. So it, it's, so the free fringe um, essentially is, uh, it's a pay what you want basis. So there are no tickets. You can walk in and out freely of shows. Um, and in the end, there's a bucket and you put in what you want or what you can. Um, it's not, I think this misconception, it's not a pay what you think we deserve. So it's not that you come with like 20 quid and you put in, in the end, what you think out of 20 quid we deserve. It's kind of whatever you can pay. Mm -hmm. So that in itself, I think is an incredible way that the Free Fringe helps Edinburgh because we all know someone who, or we all have seen a free show at some point because it's free. And that is just a fact, like everyone has done it because the uh, fringe um, is so expensive. It is so expensive. Um, so the ability to have lots of actually really incredible, mostly newly devised, because none, none, none of the shows really have rights, um, newly devised theater for free in itself is an incredible opportunity for a lot of artists, a lot of directors, a lot of writers. Um, it's a lot easier to apply to and get slots in, like in, in venues with the Free Fringe. Um, so that's a really incredible thing that I love about the Free Fringe. That being said, I do think it helps the established paid fringe as a whole. Essentially what I think is that the pros and cons of the established fringe for Edinburgh as a city are the same as the pros and cons for the free fringe for Edinburgh as a city. The pros and cons are the same. We pump an incredible, like quite substantial amount of money into Scotland, into Scotland and into Leith and into Edinburgh as a whole. Um, but the cons, we are all, we, the free fringe is complicit in the same cons for Edinburgh mm -hmm. as a city as the paid established fringes. That being said, like obviously most uh, contracts for the free fringe uh, venues have no cost to rent the rooms for. That's generally the um, contract for Free Fringe. So there are a lot more kind of, um, it feels like a very anything goes kind of environment. So our show um, was a devised comedy. So obviously we wrote it through improv with a structure. And what was beautiful about the Free Fringe for us was the freedom of it because we didn't have to um, necessarily uh, abide to any specific contract with a producing house or with um, anyone. And I was also operating all the tech. It was just kind of us. Uh, we could adapt and change and improve the show as we carried on. And by the end of it, you know, um, there were a couple quite significant jokes that we clocked maybe Edinburgh wasn't feeling all that well. So we adapted and changed and rewrote. Um, so it was really beautiful to have a sense of freedom and trust. And we never felt really policed because of free fringe it feels very like anything goes whereas sometimes i feel it may be paid fringe because there it involves a lot a bigger sense of like bureaucracy and contracts and, and commitments in different producing houses sometimes you don't really have the same amount of like oh this morning i feel like changing the ending for this show because i really want to try this new thing mm -hmm. that i'm not sure will work but i think is really incredible we could do that on the spot with no vetting from anyone um, so yes, I think easily it helps and it helps the established fringe. It helps the free fringe. It helps um, Edinburgh as a whole. Yeah. Outside of free fringe ticketed shows now are at least seven or eight pounds a ticket, yeah. which instantly puts you under pressure to create work that is instantly amazing because people have paid. There is no, like no one's got 
a really cheap ticket everyone has paid a large chunk of money to come and see the show so you have to make something incredibly brilliant from the start whereas free fringe does allow that i think the edinburgh viber being experimental and changing things and learning and building free fringe allows that to happen in edinburgh whereas maybe the other fringe is saved for more established shows seem to that are more grounded and set and that's how they run fit better in usual fringe obviously because obviously it's a bucket in the end um there were some days where people would put in an amount of money that i just knew for a fact they would not have booked the show and paid that much to see it before seeing it um and obviously as a con to counter that the rule is that it's free so you know you don't hold anything against anyone for not paying anything or paying one pound or whatever um because you don't know their reasons for coming to a free show or whatever. But sometimes it can be hard, especially as a young graduate, like we've just said, when someone like maybe does puts in nothing for whatever their own legitimate reason, it's hard for you not to regroup in the end and all be like, what did you do? Is our work worth one pound? But then sometimes someone would slip in like a 20 and you're like, you would never pay 20 pounds for one show in Edinburgh. So the fact that you gave us 20 pounds after seeing the show was an inc- like the most incredible mm. rush. And it felt so like validating. Um, but that must be really interesting like and hard like because you're being so directly given feedback through the form of money. It must be very, it must get to you to a certain degree. It does. I think the larger issue, though, is because there are no tickets, the only way you can get someone to see your show is really through flyering the hours Mm. before. Because obviously you're online, you have a social, you you have the same social presence as every other show. um, But because there are no tickets, so there's no commitment that that person wakes up that morning and is like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to this one show. It's you on the street being like, every person that comes to my show I'm gonna meet in the next like six hours and I need to make them come so some days you know you would show up and there would be the biggest crowd ever and the biggest bucket ever and you feel prouder of yourself than you've ever been and then some days naturally as Edinburgh is you know some days there are bad days and there'll be a small audience and you'll not get very much money between all of you and you're like why am I here what am I doing um so that I think was the harder thing than equate because you can learn to not let the money equate because you're like, oh, they came for a free fringe. We don't know why they couldn't pay. But that was the hardest thing, like getting the audience every single day. Yeah, that was the hardest also, also for the actors, I suppose, if you are the mentality, when you're working on a show that's ticketed, you know that once you've sold that many tickets, that many people are going to turn up and they've already paid their money. Whereas for a group of people working on free fringe, essentially when the audience are in watching the show, you've got to work as hard as possible to make the show as good as possible because then you're going to get your income is based on how hard you work that day. You can't as much have a day off. Structure of the show as well, because you have to make sure the first like 10, 15 minutes are the greatest thing they've seen that day Mm. or else they've pretty much made their minds up from their first impression like that. Yeah, that's really hard. Mm. I also think the free fringe, it like, it does add a degree of accessibility because like you know there's there are people who come to the fringe like I had some friends who came they camped outside of Edinburgh and I think they drove in or got the bus in every day so they like they were on a very low budget and everything they did was free fringe and they gave the money that they could but like it allowed them to come and you know if you do if you do come for like three days and you want to see as much as possible if you go 
you can spend so much money. You see eight shows a day and you're paying eight pounds for every single one of those shows. And you do that for three days and you're paying for accommodation, which is also ridiculously expensive. Then like, uh, like there is, I don't think there's like anyone I know this my age who could just do that. Like for, you know, and I think that if with the free fringe, it does allow you to kind of from an audience perspective to go and see like maybe three paid shows and then like a bunch of free shows. Yeah. Um, and that kind of allows you to have a bit more control over your how much money you're spending. You're completely right. I think there's a bit of a misconception among um, the established paid fringe. Um, unfortunately, maybe sometimes it's quite easy to turn your nose up against free fringe and like mm. think that maybe it's not not the fringe and you can't really say that you went to fringe and that like I can't even begin to describe elitism during fringe without like uh, like you said earlier walking into a minefield of just issues um but in the end as everyone does, I was like looking at all my tickets throughout the fringe and I was like honestly some of the things I paid good money for were nowhere near the quality of some of the really incredible things of like the free fringe showed me like in the end I was like some yeah, of these things definitely. did not were my money some of the best like the best things I have ever seen in the fringe were the free fringe like things that like honestly like completely changed my whole concept of what theatre could be and I paid what I wanted for it and like that that is the point you know and the whole elitism around if you pay for it or the real fringe or the fake fringe. So me and Toby worked in a, uh, a venue that isn't like one of the big three venues. And, um, and I think because of that, it was kind of looked down on a little bit as like not a real venue. Although it has like a huge amount of shows, it has a, a huge amount of venues and it puts on loads of stuff. And they also slightly, I would, uh, I would say, although I don't know, they champion, um, like actual like amateur theater and you know like they don't put on huge stand-up comics who come to edinburgh every year they put on like people who are actually working hard to get to edinburgh which i would argue is kind of the point of the fringe um it shouldn't be like or you know like when when these huge comics come we're like guys <laughs> you you you've been here you've made it like leave um but that's just my opinion um but um but and and i think it was interesting because although it was like a slightly kind of like less glitzy venue i think it had more of the spirit of the fringe than i had friends working on some of these huge venues with like huge acts and it just you know like that feels so much more commercial and less heartwarming the free fringe is you're right the spirit yeah um, it's how it feels the smart yeah i think what would be interesting about free fringe is a very this is like a just an admin thing of free fringe is usually cash based and in this ever moving cashless society it'd be something for next year obviously people are less likely to handle money whether that will affect free fringe in terms of people don't hand over people don't carry cash as much and we're being encouraged not to carry cash because of the current situation. So it'd be interesting to see if free fringe is affected by the fact that people just don't have cash yeah. in their pockets. It might anymore. actually help because you can get those contactless like things. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. had um, an option to pay with card. Um, yeah. Not everyone did. And it, 
it's kind of annoying because the general rule is there's like a barcode and you have to like scan it on your phone but then that means you couldn't do it in the venue because we didn't have signal so it'd be like Ooh. okay well you can do it later when you have internet and we're like oh they're not gonna do it later when they have internet yeah. so you're right i think that would kind of force free fringe to adapt a little bit um but, yeah but i do think like i've seen such incredible stuff for free fringe and i really think it's like it's like one of the best, it's definitely, it's one of the best parts of the films for me. Talking to all of these people about the Edinburgh Festival, like, again, this is a minefield and we could talk about it forever, but it is too expensive. Like, the tickets are too expensive and they go up every year. Soon they're going to be like £12. The housing is so expensive. The people that can go to the fringe are a very small group of people who either, like, have the skills to get funding or like um or have you know like funding under yeah or have some kind or a part of something or have like the privilege to be financed by family or whatever and that's completely valid and of course they should be able to go up but like the fact that only those people can go up I really think talking to some people I talked to this couple who have been going to Edinburgh for like 30 years and they were like we're going to stop going because it's too boring there's nothing interesting here no one's saying anything new Mm. which I thought was like fascinating <laughs> but when they started going it was right after the eastern block had opened up and there were all of these kind of people from the eastern block of Europe coming across and doing this incredible new protest theatre and it was completely new and fresh and that's not quite what's there anymore and I do feel with Edinburgh if they don't do something about it soon it will become just like a playground for middle-class people. On that note, moving, segueing into what will be sort of our final Edinburgh question is how, that is the big question, how do you lower the costs? I would, do you introduce ticket price caps? Do you introduce blanket venue, higher cap prices? Is there a way you think that maybe Edinburgh, another thing to put across is maybe Edinburgh is going to benefit from having a year off? for a year to reflect because for a lot of companies that looking from the venues hire people's perspective for them Edinburgh is a 12-month program they are looking for people to come into their venues from September there isn't that period of time to sit back and reflect because immediately as soon as one Edinburgh finishes you're working hard on the next Edinburgh so perhaps this period of a year off could be really helpful for Edinburgh just to sit back reflect on the fringe as a whole how it works and yeah, would you advocate capping or do you think there's another way in which we can keep costs low? This is kind of the fundamental question, isn't it? Because um, the debate around the sustainability of the fringe has been around for years and years and years. And it's only getting more prominent because every year the fringe gets more expensive and more inaccessible to a group of people. And you are right. It is becoming, like Leo is right, it's becoming a playground for like middle class people who have comfortable homes and could just go back and forth and get their parents to pay their train ticket the issue i don't think it's up to people like us on our level to be trying to implement things to lower the cost so yeah so how let's say we would calculate the price of a ticket we would charge look at all our costs look at our profit margin and then set the price and that's how we do it so then we bring that up to the venue manager the venue manager will talk about his costs and his profit margin and he'll set his price and it'll go up and up and up and up and we're all kind of suffocating from the same like 
capitalist system that runs the fringe mm. and is and where nothing is trickling down and everything is getting worse and harder um and people are like working three jobs and saving for five years to go to the fringe for one year and then never coming back but then at one point and maybe I, this is the anti-capitalist maybe in me but at some point up the chain there is a person or a group of people whose profit margin exceeds far more like what it needs to be and um i it's no secret um the distribution of wealth i think is the fundamental key to sustainable future in the arts and for the destruction of capitalism full stop the distribution Mm -hmm. of wealth someone up there whether it, it be someone who owns a venue that is making like an incredible amount of money, someone who owns the rights to a play that is charging 60 pound per performance. It was like raking in the royalties or it's a producer who's taking on 20 different clients because they know they can because everyone at the fringe thinks they need a producer. Like someone up there is making an obscene amount of money off of the back and the hard work and the blood, sweat and tears of people like us who Mm. work for nothing really like in and don't really end up making much money not near enough money that we deserve for the amount of hours and the type of work that we do and the type of people we're exposed to um i think the the cost how do you lower the cost of edinburgh is not up to us being like should we provide discounts for these type of people should we provide a loyalty card for cafes it's not up to small things like that it's up to the dismantlement of the system that runs the establishment Mm -hmm. of the fringe and i know that's quite extreme for me to say but that it that is the answer someone upstairs needs to take a cut and i'm not talking about pay cut i'm talking about guillotine that's a joke that's a joke i don't think (laughs) don't Um, incite revelation on a podcast ali you never know what will happen (laughs) but that is the fundamental answer it is the establishment of the fringe that needs to be dismantled for the cost to lower i mean you look at um obviously the fringe was cancelled and then suddenly there was a surge of landlords in edinburgh and in leith and surrounding villages who were an uproar because they did not have any tenancies between july and august and the beginning of september and the big argument they had was that they used that money from the fringe to subsidize their living for the rest of the year and without the fringe they have no income to help them live for the rest of the year but surely the problem then is not oh goodness these poor landlords are not going to have a living surely the question is why do they spike the rent up during fringe so astronomically that they are able to live the rest of the year not working because of the two-month time period like everyone knows the rent increases during fringe everyone knows that happens but it doubles and it triples and it is absolutely inaccessible and insane for anyone mm. to conceive going every single year so mm. my answer to how it's not up to us it's not people it's not up to cafe owners it's not up to stage managers it's not up to producers to be like oh well i guess i'll just take a cut back on these it's up to the big people upstairs mm. to clock what's going on and realize that the fringe is going to disappear the yeah. fringe is going to disappear camden will happen international festivals will happen and the edinburgh fringe will disappear that is what yeah. they need to come up. well Sorry, i think I set a bomb off a little bit toby but I, I'm... it's beautiful great. that was like, like such an inspirationally great speech i was yeah go on leo sure follow that <laughs> i know lots of stress <laughs> well i think i think that ali is completely right i think that like there is um there's a massive issue in kind of like like you know to add another extremity to this like it's not just 
fringe. It's the West End. It's all of theatre. It's too expensive. West End theatre should be accessible. Art should be accessible. Galleries should be accessible. We're really lucky in the UK. You can walk into a museum for free. That's incredible. But like, you have to be able to do that with other things because you really have to ask the question, if people can't go see art, why are we doing it? Because if there's only a very small group of people who can access, access these things and there's no point in us creating them. Because in my opinion, like, yes, you can make money out of theatre, but the really important thing is to like share experiences. Like Toby says, you go and see a show because you haven't had that experience. And it gives people empathy and insight and like a new perspective. And if there's anything that we need right now, it's that like we need to understand each other better. And theatre is incredible at doing that and making it more accessible to everyone, making it cheaper, having tickets that are cheaper, that people like I'm always astounded. There are all of these schemes you can get if you're under 25 to get cheap tickets in London, but you have to know about it. And if you're from certain backgrounds, how are you going to know about it? Like. <laughs> sorry <laughs> how are you gonna have access to the knowledge that if you go on the national theater website you can sign up for these special discounts you're not going to know about it so i think with the fringe i think tickets have to be capped and i think housing has to be capped and i also think that there should be like a number of in like um charities set up which is which which is which um sole focus um is getting new work to the fringe and supporting young practitioners. Um, so young practitioners like from different economical backgrounds, like from all parts of the UK. So it's not just London, because oh my gosh, everyone you meet in Edinburgh lives in London. Um, like get and um, supporting those people, helping them with housing, helping them with all of the mental health difficulties that are Edinburgh, helping them with the venue, filling out all of the forms, breaking down these barriers, because all of that stuff is so inaccessible like, even if like, I find filling out forms really difficult, and my first language is English. So if your first language is English, I don't think you could go to the fringe. And that it immediately eliminates a whole voice, a whole huge group of people that we need to be listening to. And if those things were in place and those kind of aids were in place, I think that Edinburgh would remain kind of interesting and relevant. But I think if things aren't capped, if people aren't taking pay cuts, if honestly if no one is willing to take the integrity of the art seriously enough and decide that it's more important than profit then like it is going to disappear it's going to get boring and the people who are going are going to become old white people and you know what those people die so it will end and that's real sad for them but also like we need like it's so sad because in edinburgh i was like whoa there are loads of people like me like privileged white people where is everyone else? Where, where is everyone else? Like, where are these people? Because that is not the UK. It's never been the UK. It's never been the world. Like, where are they? Where are their stories? This is where the stories are meant to be told. Yeah. Where are they? <laughs> Made me very angry. I think it's kind of a joke that it's called the International Festival. I really genuinely do. Because you cannot call yourself well-versed in theatre or well-read or um, that you watched a diverse range of theatre if all you've watched is English theatre, full stop. You cannot yeah. say you are well-read if you only read English. That's, mm. that's just full stop. You cannot say that. But also, so that almost, yeah, almost everyone is white there. Like, yeah, no, sorry, Toby. I know, but this is also really important. But I promise you. 
everyone's right. No one said, not a, I read so much about the fringe because I was afraid of it and I really wanted to be prepared for it. And bless my cast members and crew, like, were really great to me through this. But no one, not a single article or book, spoke to me about the constant harassment and abuse that would go on in Edinburgh to people who are not white. No one told me about that. Not a single person mentioned how intense that would be. And like, I'm quite used, I mean, Toby, you know me, I'm quite used to it. And I'm not really someone who like breaks down from things like that. But like, the fringe was easily, every single day, something happened. Every single day, something happened. Every single day, someone would ask you, what accent is that, where you are from, microaggressions. Every single day, someone complimented my almond eyes. Every single day, someone would like joke about um, them making their coffee the color of my skin. Like it happened every single day. And no one warned me and no one talks about it. No one talks about the racial and like sexual harassment that goes yeah. on in the fringe. Um, yeah. I experienced some of the most intense, like experience, <laughs> intense experiences at the fringe of that. So if like, I'm sorry, I know you said you don't want to go to accessible accessibility in fringe. That's a mindful because it is, but that's part of it. Like you, mm. in so many ways, structurally, the Edinburgh Fringe as an establishment cuts off a very large amount of people, not only in the UK, but around the world. Because yeah. obviously, if I am not a white person and I had this experience, and then someone I know wants to go to the fringe and I'm like, okay, just to let you know this happens, why, why would they go? I think yeah. another interesting point is knowing your show from last year uh, and the flyering aspect of it. And that's something I've actually, I noticed when I took a show up, is that no one really looks after the flyers. And there is a sense of, yeah, without going too much into your show, your show was five female actors. Um, and some of the requests they got from people taking their flyers were, yeah, some of the comments that they had because they were female people flyering. And, and, and yeah. as you can imagine, as production crew, the feeling that you cannot help them at all and you literally can do nothing because you need to fly because there are no tickets while that is happening. Anyway, I will say though, that they did an incredible job and it mm. takes a certain level of strength and maturity for those women to be as, cause it's a comedy, to be as funny and as talented as they are in the environment that the Fringe brought. Like they were yeah. absolutely made us proud every single night, every single night, no matter what anyone said to them, all five of them, were brilliant and i'm so grateful that like despite um all, without through all, all the good of the edinburgh fringe despite all the bad they were the best five casts we could have ever even asked for and i'm so grateful so you are right it was difficult but like as with the fringe you just you end up being so impressed by the people around you i think but i do think it is one of the things about the fringe which is like it's amazing but it's also like establishment like and there are types of people that have gone there since they were kids and their parents have apartments there. Yeah. And like it, it, there, I really think the thing of like what Toby said, like no one looks after the flyers, like this isn't, this might be a bit of an exaggeration. And I'm sure that there are, that like I, Edinburgh is an amazing community, but also like no one really looks after anyone. Mm. It's all very like you're here on your own merit. You'll make what it, if you, what of it what you want 
and you know like you'll do the best that you can and theatre was quite close-knit a lot of people that I went to uni with went to Edinburgh so like a lot of my friends were there so I had like a support system but I always like if if you get really one of my friends um is is um not from the UK and she got really ill she had tonsillitis and she was working in Edinburgh she didn't know how to like call 111 or like um, or call the NHS and like all of those things and people in Edinburgh get ill all the time and like her venue didn't help her like no no one that she knew could help her and because I was there I was able to kind of help her but you're right there are all of these things in the way but also one of the things that I've always thought about Edinburgh is you all know that it's a massive strain on mental health especially if it's a show that you're putting on you feel like it's your literal creative life and integrity on the line and I always thought and it's something that I'd still really like to do. So anyone listening to this podcast, don't steal this idea. Um, but at um, Glastonbury Festival, they have like um, a health tent. So if you're doing drugs, you can like go and get them tested to check that they're safe. If you take drugs and you have a bad trip, you can go and they'll look after you. If you have a bad reaction, if you drink too much, if you need a plaster, you go to this tent and they'll look after you. And I was always perplexed that in Edinburgh, there's nothing like this. There's no like safe place. There's literally not even anywhere quiet, you know? And if you're sharing a room with someone, there's not even anywhere you can be by yourself. And the kind of lack of care. And I think in our venue, like we were lucky, the people I was working with were nice and everyone did look after themselves and like nothing, that ter- nothing terrible happened as far as I know. But if something did, I don't think that there is a place to go. And if you are in Edinburgh and it's very stressful and you need counselling, you need therapy, you need some kind of support, what would you do? Like, who would help you? (laughs) What would happen? Like, what would happen? And I think what happens is everyone just carries on and then they get home and they have a mental breakdown. (laughs) I think rounding back up to sort of near where we started the podcast is Edinburgh reflects the whole sort of art scene. And I think that is a thing of Edinburgh shows all the positives of theatre and arts and all the opportunities and all the variety that is on offer. But it also Edinburgh is a massive highlight for everything that is still wrong with theatre. As Ali's mentioned, the racial divisions and the yeah, yeah, the racial like disproportionate sexism, all of that all that still exists in arts is just highlighted more in Edinburgh. But I think, again, it's all under this. I think one of these things about this podcast that has always been an underlying theme is that there is still this idea that anyone that does theatre will work for nothing, will do it for, mm. will do whatever because that's yeah, what they want to do. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, Edinburgh is just probably the extreme of everything. I think it is the extreme. Edinburgh represents the extreme of everything. It's the extreme mm. hard work, extreme hours extreme runs extremes everything yeah but it is it is like there are amazing things that come out of it i just think as ali said whoever is managing it Mm. like it it needs some regulations it needs some change it needs some really big change Uh, (laughs) inciting riot every day (laughs) come on the podcast is something it's the job of poets to start the revolution (laughs) when you invited her yeah Mm. uh cool so the closing two questions that i ask each week uh, to every guest uh, so I'll start with Ali first with the first one um, where do you see this is not Edinburgh Fringe specific this is where do you see theatre in 12 months time yes if 
I'm being positive, like if I'm being a, a positive person and if I was being cynical, I think there are kind of two sides to that. If I was being positive, um, I would look back on the fact that the UK is, is iconic for its theater and music and arts and, and its contributions to Western culture. It really is one of the most significant country, like um, group of countries in the world like easily um and therefore as a result of that it's created this culture like you said before where we will do anything anywhere for anything so if you told us the three of us tomorrow in Trafalgar Square we could do a 20 minute poetry set and Toby would light it we would all be there and we would have material because right now when we hung up we would write something and be ready and be really proud of it and ready for tomorrow so the culture of it is that um theater will always exist in some form that is not even like a question it you know people will always be busking on the street people will always be having open mic nights in pubs it will mm. always will kids will always be showing their parents in the living room something they worked on that day like it will always happen i think if i was being um cynical i think the real question behind where is theater going to be in august 2021 is a matter of the money so this 1.57 i know you had a whole podcast about it so i won't like go on um an episode about it so i won't go on but that is the for me the biggest determining factor um that will define the next 12 months mm -hmm. so i see the next six months we obviously in the end of um the next six months there will be no like established produced theater anyway i mean if you even think of it in the context of like for arts funding you usually need to apply nine months before the project and even when you apply you need to have everything planned on a gantt chart so you need to have everything about your show sorted nine months before the show to apply so like i think the distribution of this 1.57 billion is easily the biggest determining factor um I think we all deserve clarification on who is distributing this money and how, and how long the process takes, how you get what businesses are included and not included. And that will basically um, the kind of draw the spider web of the next 12 months. Do you think the, the, the issue of the planning, because everyone is like, you can do outdoor theater, but to do outdoor theater is to do it right now. And to start planning that needs to be six months ago. And six months ago, we didn't think we'd still be in lockdown now. So, you know, like how, how is that going to happen? I think mm. in next year, yeah, it depends on how the money distributed. I think there's also a big question about how many people will leave the industry because like you can't hang on forever and how many people will leave the industry and realize that you don't have to work for nothing all the time and you don't have to be exhausted and push yourself and put yourself kind of, in these difficult situations um but positively like it might really mean that there's a lot of kind of development in terms of how theater can be accessed and what we call theater there being less of a strict idea around what theater is or what good theater is um i do think everyone's kind of got a bit um enamored with tech and making shows incredibly technical and that's kind of like this, this the sign of an amazing show is that it has brand new tech and projection and lighting, which I think is great. But I also think, you know, that's not what, what theatre always needs. So hopefully it'll be good. But 
final question and i'll go to leo first uh one piece of advice you would give to new theater professionals a motto that you have when you do a piece of theater or just one little bit of something you've heard from someone maybe that you would pass on i mean i don't think anything i'm going to say is going to be very original but i think that um i think that when you're making something you have to remember that it's not going to be exactly how you imagined it so i had this big problem when i was a kid which is i would plan these extravagant birthday parties and i would imagine every second of them and i plan them out and then they happen and incredible as it is to believe they were not exactly how i imagined they would be um and i would get really upset and end up getting really upset and crying and like leaving the party and not enjoying it because I was like this isn't exactly how I thought it would be and I think I struggle with that in life <laughs> still but I've got much better at it I don't run away anymore and I think that kind of realizing that the initial idea that you have and where it ends up and the fact that they're different isn't a failure it's just the development of an idea is really useful and also useful in life like obviously right now isn't where any of us would want to be but it's not a failure and life is long and things carry on and things pass just because it's not what you thought it would be. doesn't mean that it's not what it's not. It doesn't mean it's wrong. So that that's, that's like a little sanity brick that I hold on to. Nice. And that was definitely original. I haven't heard that before. So yeah. Uh, Uh, Cool. Ali, to finish us off, what one piece of advice would you give to new theatre professionals? Um, I always, when I run um, at work, when um, we're devising autobiographical theater for, so I I work with um, under 18s who are asylum seekers within the UK and, or are currently seeking asylum and refugees and basically they get placed um, into housing and uh, into educational courses. So we develop autobiographical work, well, biographical work um, they write it and we kind of workshop it and help them put it together. And the biggest thing that we all say to each other um, is that you need to write and make theater about what brings you alive, um, whatever that may be for you, because that is a theater that you will want to go watch so you can make yourself better. And that is a theater that um, you will want to show people like theater that you are incredibly proud of um, mm. because it's the reason why you wake up and breathe every day. The, the topics you're talking about, the people you're talking about. Um, and you like, there's nothing like the gratification of writing something really incredible about that. Something that means a lot, honestly, to you personally. Mm. Um, I'd say on a, maybe more, a more practical level, because I feel like that's quite like, whatever brings you alive, just <laughs> on, a, on a more practical level, I would say, especially for emerging artists, to not underestimate the emotional, mental, um, physical, financial effect that these last mm. six, seven months have brought on you and that your career is not a straight line forward. Mm. And if you need to get a different job somewhere else, if you need to move home because you were already in London, like working three jobs to barely book jobs of your actual passion so you can make rent. Um, If you have to move out and go home, 
reconsider your place in the industry, maybe take a break, do a different job, reconnect with other things, that there should be no shame Mm. and no guilt in that and that everyone's path is different. Um, And you should do what you can, uh, not what you think you should because others are doing it. That's what I'd say. Nice. They were a great piece of advice. That was brilliant. Thank you guys. Uh, Thank you for coming on to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed being on. It was really good. Really good discussion about all things Edinburgh Fringe and beyond. And beyond. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Good luck with all of your projects that you've both got coming up. Uh, We'll probably link some social media stuff to them as well so everyone can join in and see them and see what you guys are doing. And yeah, we'll both, I'm sure you'll both be back on the podcast at some point in the future as well. Thank you for having us, Toby. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. So, guys, that was episode four of the Beginner's Call Theatre podcast. That was episode four of the Beginner's Call Theatre podcast, the Edinburgh Fringe special. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. I hope you found it really engaging and interesting. I think it was the podcast that has delved into the most deep topics and issues that surround theatre so far i think it's really important that we have these conversations so yeah once again if you do want to get involved and you do want to engage ask questions talk about the podcast please do follow us on instagram beginners call pod twitter at beginner call and as i said earlier we are now on facebook at the beginners call theatre podcast you'll get all of the show information on those three channels so yeah once again thank you for joining me for episode four we will see you again next week for episode number five obviously but as usual please do keep safe keep looking after each other and keep being creative.